Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for, I was going to say another edition of the Suitcase and the Scribe, of course, with Mike McKenna in St. Louis, but it's it's the finale of the 2021-22 season. And what a great way to kick off the final podcast of this season. So pleased to have Alain Roy. And I'm going to ask you, did I say that right, Alain? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. It was a a mixture of Canadian and American uh, pronunciation. I like it. (laughs) I I do have dual citizenship, so it's perfect. I knew that. (laughs) I I did a little research, Alain, because Mm -hmm. I knew that you you, you you come out of a Canadian background, and I knew that there was a connection with Mike. Goaltender, lived in St. Louis for a period of time. I assume... If you didn't live with each other, you lived nearby because that's a whole St. Louis thing. <laughs> Small town thing, exactly. I know, yeah. it's great. But, uh, and so pleased to have you join us. And it's great. You're, uh, you're in the Kelowna airport. Um, yes. You've been uh, an agent for, I think, just over two decades. So what are you doing in Kelowna? What's, your, what's going on? Tell us yeah. all the news. From, well, first from of all, th- thank, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. And uh, and it, I mean, yeah, Mike and I go way back because I, I was his agent for many years. So, uh, but he was, he was, a, it was an easy client, you know, in our business, you, you refer to guys that like high maintenance or low maintenance. He was more towards the low maintenance. He was, he was good. He was good. Uh, <laughs> Appreciate but, that. Uh, no, I, <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I, I'm in Kelowna. We are, uh, I mean, obviously still, still in the middle of free agency. So on the phone a lot. But uh, uh, me and my team have uh, development camps for some of our young clients and some of our pro clients uh, throughout North America. So we, uh, we usually start out in uh, New Brunswick and work our way west with five different camps kind of throughout North America. Uh, good time to see some of our clients. Uh, we get them uh, specialized instruction on the ice. We do some seminars and uh, stuff like social media training and uh, mm-hmm. stuff like uh, being smart about your money and uh, stuff about off-ice training. Now we're getting into uh, diet and uh, biometric analysis and uh, you know, bi- biogenetic info and how to create your own data and own your own data. Our, our job is changing every day. So, uh, so it's, it's always interesting. It's fun. Uh, and for me, it's, it's a good way to kind of get some face-to-face time with everybody in the off-season. Uh, but, yeah, it's a busy time because uh, while that's going on, I'm usually, I usually have a phone uh, stuck to my ear as, as I'm watching the guys skate, talking to teams. That's pretty much what every day is like. Yes. It's amazing to think how much this has changed. You know, like oh, when we first started kind of our journey together, like this was 2000, I don't know, six or so. So we're looking at the better part of 16, 17 years that, you know, being an agent and being an agent, you really weren't concerned about all these different aspects. And now you have to do those things. You have to train your players how to use social media, right? Like you have to make sure that they understand how to market themselves or brand themselves beyond even being a player. Um, that's really impressed me how that has changed quite a bit. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to dig right into the, the meat right now of what's going on in the hockey world. And we're two weeks into free agency. A lot of people would think, okay, you know, Al, you're pro- your job's probably done, right? You know, first, second day of free agency, get those things done. That's not the case, is it? There's still plenty of moving parts going around. That no, you have to this is uh, this may be one of the oddest free agency periods uh, I've seen. I mean, it's been it's been weird and, and tight for six to eight years, right? Um, pretty much since the new CBA and the fifty fifty system that changed things quite a bit. Um, and you know, and then we had the interview period. Now we got rid of the interview period. Uh, but usually like July one is the 
the original date this year moved to the 13th, but July 1 at noon, uh, I mean, you, know, you saw these deals rifle through because people had pretty much kind of agreed to them before and they just filed them. You know, so that, that, that's what was going on. Now uh, what's happening is because a lot of the uh, bottom end teams have decided not to get close to the cap. It's really sucked a lot of money out of the system and it's crippled the system. Uh, you see some big names like Kadri and Klingberg and some of those guys have not signed yet. Um, and I think everybody's kind of waiting for money to be moved. And, and it, it's really become a big part of uh, our job, a big stressor for the players and the agents uh, because the same conversation, it's like Groundhog Day, same conversation every day. Yeah, we're trying to move money. Once we move money, we'll sign your guy. And uh, what we've learned over the last few years, like the last two or three years, is that it's really hard to move money. And when it doesn't happen, guys get caught on the outside looking in. And, uh, and that's what's happening right now. It's, uh, so it's very stressful for players and their families, very stressful for uh, the agents. And on, on the team side, it's kind of stressful for the teams who are at the cap because they got to move money to be compliant. And then uh, the guys who have room are just sitting there uh, hoping that the offer gets better day by day. And it probably will for, for a lot of them. Uh, but, but you do have some teams who are consciously creating their own budget, staying away from the cap and more towards the floor. And the guys who get squeezed are the middle guys. Those like two, two to $5 million guys, they're really getting squeezed. The top end guys are getting the money. The bottom end guys are going to get their league minimum to a million. But those guys in between, they're really paying the price. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, though, Ilan, because you're coming off uh, a deal that uh, you just worked out with Jonas Siegenthaler, if I'm not mistaken, with the New Jersey Devils, uh, a guy who really had a, a really impressive season, big guy. And I know from talking to Tom Fitzgerald in the past, the desire to make that back end in New Jersey a little bit bigger and a little bit more imposing. Five years, $17 million. Um, maybe you walk us through what's that like because i assume for jonas that security and it, it, you know to find that kind of place in the nhl and have that security at that price point i mean that's it's got to be exciting for him but maybe what what's that process like and at the end of it what's what's it like for you and the client and, and maybe for for tom in new jersey as well yeah it's it's an interesting process uh especially you know a lot goes into a lot of factors going going into this decision, right? Does the player like it with the team? Are they playing the right style? Is he tracking the right way? And with Jonas, it's interesting. He's Swiss. Um, Swiss. A lot of the Swiss guys like to play it safe. Um, you know, it's just it's the nature. Uh, but also, uh, he had a, you know kind of a rough go in Washington where he just couldn't get in the lineup. Not not really because of how he played, but it was a stacked back end. There were no injuries. Uh, it was touch and go for a couple of years. Is he in the league? Is he not in the league? And then all of a sudden uh, that trade happens in New Jersey and uh, Lindy Ruff comes in and he finds uh, a, a happy place in that system. Right. So he's playing well, uh, killing penalties, you know, playing more and more minutes. Um, then you get to that point where it's like, okay, well, you know, do you want to do an extension? Uh, do we want to wait another year? And if you play those kind of minutes next year, you probably get more money or do you want to know you're there? Right. And, and it's interesting because I've got the Nico Heischer there too, and they're best buddies and both Swiss. So, and Nico's got six years left on his deal. So, so it's like, you know, it's kind of a, it was a, it was a good, uh, good timing deal there. Um, so then you get into, okay, you do your research, advanced stats. Uh, the devils are owned by private equity guys. So they're big into the advanced stats also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then it becomes a battle of, uh, you, know, I, you know, we have our advanced stats person that works for us. They have theirs and, it becomes you know that kind of a battle, and then okay, where is this going to go? And then then you get into the conversation where you 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 eventually end up trading some security for for some cash. That's usually how it works out, right? Uh, and you get to a number where the player's like, okay, I think I think I'm comfortable with this, and the team's like, hey, we're not going to move anymore. And then it's like, okay, well, we do this now, or you wait a year, and then we do it next summer. Uh, and if you play the same or better, you're probably going to get more money next summer, or you can do it now, knowing that you have the deal in the bank. Right. And I think going back to the conversation before with uh, only a million dollars going uh, into the cap this year, you know, the the cap went up by a million. And again, next summer, I think we're going to have a very similar summer. Uh, The off season is going to be very stressful for guys. Um, You see a lot of guys who became UFAs thinking they were going to get a lot of big offers, not getting them. Uh, Extensions are likely going to be pretty popular. You know, it's, it's the nature of the beast at, at the moment. 
Um, I do think after we get past uh, next season, um, uh, then I think things will open up a little bit and the cap should start going up again. Um, but things are pretty clogged up here. We're still, you know, the, the players are still paying back the COVID money uh, to the owners and, uh, and that's causing a lot of stress to the system. That was always my thought process. And obviously, you know, working together, like we did as a number three goaltender, you're probably not going to have a lot of options, but I always thought that first one across the table made the most sense. That was a team that wanted me the most. And even if I remember having that conversation, even if the dollars weren't there, probably the opportunity was, you know, so it definitely, Scott, it varies for the different player where they're at the stage of their career and what they're looking for. Um, but, you know, as a goalie, again, like things have changed a bit here. Eh, Al? Like I remember po- thinking about this a week or two ago, and I think I even tweeted it that it feels like to me, the goalie market is getting to the point where just about everybody in the league is going to be making between 3 million and 6 million bucks, unless you're on an entry level contract. Like why has the market driven towards that? Why are there not the outliers of goaltenders that are really making the big bucks? I mean, you've got basically three of them. You got price Vasilevsky and then you've got Bob in Florida. They're the only guys. And I don't see those contracts being handed out again. Yeah. The goalie market is a very, it's almost like an outlier, right? Like, I don't know if you remember what year that was where Chicago and Philly went to the finals and both backups were playing. It was, uh, with Michael yeah. Layton and, uh, the Finnish guy, right. Antinia. And, uh, Antinia. 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 Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting old. That, that I mean, Lates like was, to me. Lates was the number three goalie in <laughs> Philly, Philly, you know, and he was yeah. almost there. Yeah. yeah. But, but I don't know if you remember right after that, you know, that summer, uh, the, the goalie market almost kind of went in reverse where people were like, well, those guys went to the finals and their backups played. We're not going to pay anybody. And it really affected the goalie market. And then, you know, then, then it went in reverse, right? Then, then you go through the next season, teams are like, oh, we gambled on the wrong side. Now we need to pay. And that's <laughs> when you started seeing the deals like Bob and, and, and I mean, Vasilyevsky probably deserves what he got paid, you know, sure. like, he, 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 but, but then the deals like Bob, you, had, right. you had Rask and Rene, they were yeah. 7 million bucks, right? They were in that wave of guys. Yeah. And, and, and now uh, it's, it's become kind of, it's kind of in between those two, right? Teams are like, okay, we need three good goalies, not just two because guys are playing too much, uh, especially the last three seasons because of the, the, the schedule changes yeah. too many injuries. So you need three guys that can play likely pay a third guy a one way, which they would never do in the past. But now a lot of teams that say half the teams are thinking that way. And uh, if you spend, if you spend 10 million or, le- or less on, on your goalies, you're in pretty good shape cap wise. Like, I think that's, that's how it's viewed, right? If you're less than 10 million bucks on, on all three of your goalies, I think you're in pretty good shape. Uh, and that's, that's really become the, the mentality on the team side. Now, Mike, you and I feel the same way. The goalie is the most important player on the team. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Former goalies and, uh, talking to one another here, Scott. <laughs> I know. But, but, but I, I, I do think that the market will always keep ebbing and flowing that way. And then, and then you look at what happened this summer, and there's this kind of a shortage of real number ones in the league. I think if you talk behind closed doors to all 32 GMs, uh, you'd, you'd be surprised how many feel like they're uncomfortable with their starting mm-hmm. goal. And there's just not enough guys. So the other thing that needs to start happening is, you know, they need to probably start letting some of these younger goalies get a, a quicker look, uh, you know, testing them more quickly at the NHL level and, and, you know, moving and moving past certain guys. I mean, you got guys in their forties still playing in the league. Uh, that's a concern, you know, like as far, it's, it's a fast league. Like, and, and, and to me, like if teams just don't want to move on from that because they're not comfortable with some of the young goalies out there, then I think that, thought like that thought process has to change a little bit yeah i'm curious about you know we talk about the evolution of the the business of being an agent and what you know what it was like you know 20 years ago when you started and i'm curious about in these development camps and how is your relationship with younger players that are 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 coming to you and your organization for help and for representation. And I assume your relationship with the families as well. How is that different now than say 15 years ago or when you first started, or, or maybe it's not different at all, but I, my sense is that's something that's vitally important. If, if you're going to do this kind of work. Yeah, it's very different. First of all, we'd be doing this interview on a rotary phone, 
and, uh, <laughs> and you wouldn't be seeing me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it, what's changed the most, and, and I've seen it a lot, because I've been doing this 23 years. Um, I would say uh, the last 10 years plus, you know, social media has created this, I want it now type of mentality, not just for the kids, but for the parents too. Uh, this sense of uh, entitlement, accomplishment, at a very young age, which is crazy to me. Um, but we, but it's part of, it's probably the part of the job I, I dislike the most is, is having those kind of conversations with young players and their families. And it's like, Hey, well, uh, you know, I, I was the best player in Bantam. Uh, what are you going to do for me? It's like, well, yeah, everybody plays Bantam, you know, <laughs> so, so, yeah. Yeah, talk to me in three years. Uh, but, but that, that has become prevalent. And it's a concern for sure uh, because uh, it's not, it's not tracking the right way. And I think with, with, you know, the advent of social media and I, I want it now and I better get it now kind of mentality. Um, it, it's, I mean, it blows me away sometimes when, you know, some 16 year old client will text me. And if I don't answer within 15 minutes, I get the two question marks and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, you know, like, <laughs> but, but that, but that's the world we live in. Right. And, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's what I've signed up for. So it's, you know, it, it is what it is, but as a, as a parent, as an, uh, as somebody who's been doing this for a long time, it's concerning. And, and I don't see I see more parents hurting more than helping, uh, meaning that they kind of propagate that type of thought process where, it should be like, hey, listen, like, you know, you got to earn your way. Earning your way is something you have to educate kids on more and more. Uh, where, where yes. you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was understood. You're playing hockey. You're accountable. Uh, people around you keep you accountable. And, uh, you know, just keep your mouth shut and your ears open and things are going to be okay. Now it's like you, you got you to say it over and over again. So I, I just, Mike, I want to follow up if I can. Yeah. So do you have to have – do you have to have the tough love conversations, not just or only with your hockey playing clients, but maybe with moms and dads and, you know, extended family? Like, do you have to lay down you do, the law? You do. I mean, yeah. you, you know, well, the, the, the helicopter parents usually end up unless the, the player decides to, to kind of push them away. And I'm not saying, hey, guys, like cut off ties with your family. But, but tell them, hey, I'm, I'm an adult now. It's my life. I, I want to make mm -hmm. my decisions. If that doesn't happen, I'd say 90% of the time, that's a lot of times what drives a career not to work out. You know, the, the, the player or the client will be, he'll be missing pieces to um, the, the, uh, the overall deck of being a pro athlete. And character is a main one. Uh, and, and it's hard to build character if there's always somebody there picking up for you and, and you know, making excuses for your mistakes. And that kind of stuff, right? You need that adversity. You need to go through the tough times. You need people to support you, but you don't need people there to to kind of cover for you. And and uh, and, I, and that's very hard for a lot of parents to uh, mm -hmm. to, to to get through their 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 mind. Uh, and 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 sometimes it gets combative, right? They they think you're trying to push their kid away from them when you're just trying to tell them let your kid grow up, let your kid fail. You know, like I, I think a lot of uh, sports parents really have a hard time letting your kids fail. But I look back at my kids and, and my career and I, the, the stuff that happened to me when I failed is the stuff I'll, I'll never forget. The successes you kind of put behind you and that's it. But the failure is where you grow. And, and people really have a hard time with that. The reason that's happening is because parents are spending so much money now on their kids and they feel like they're so invested in them. And they've, we've spent tens of thousands of dollars on you. And, you, and at, at the core of it, you're still just trying to let your kid enjoy the game as much as you can. It's not about making it to the NHL for everybody. And it's perverted the whole process, man. Like, like Al, did my dad ever come up to you and ask you about my contract status or what we were going to do on the next contract? Never. Not once. Never. And, and no. I'm so thankful for that, that my parents let me guide my own ship, man. Like they truly yeah. did. And I know yeah. that helped me in a lot of ways. Um, you've given all us a lot all of time. All he ever asked me, all he ever asked me was, when was the last time you got your teeth cleaned? Because he was my dentist. <laughs> Hell of a dentist, by the way. <laughs> and but I yeah, love that. That's that was it. That was it. <laughs> you give us a lot of, lot of your time, and we appreciate it. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen agents make the transition into management now. We've seen Kent Hughes go in in Montreal. I've seen Bill Zito go in in Florida. Um, I mean, first, is that something that interests you uh, somewhere down the road? And two, do you think that this trend continues? You know, what is it about being a player agent that lends itself 
to being a general manager? Obviously, you, you've got plenty of things to negotiate and discuss, but do you think that's something that's advantageous for people that do choose to move into that line of work? I do. Uh, a lot of what we do on a daily basis, I mean, you know, I manage a team of people and, and you know, a couple hundred clients. So it's, it's a lot like managing a team. Uh, we have the same discussions just on the other side of the table. You have to be knowledgeable of the CBA, uh, the cap system, uh, you know, how to market, all those kind of things. So it's, it's a pretty easy transition. Uh, I, I would have interest, but years down the road, I've had several discussions in the last year and a half with teams. Uh, which I, I feel humble that, you know, that, that they would approach me, uh, but I'm not ready for that yet. I just, I'm just doing a transition now with my company where we're marrying ourselves to a large family office to be able to offer uh, all of the services in house to our guys. This family office manages a lot of pro athletes. And so now we can do, uh, you know, legal accounting, uh, money management, banking, and pretty much everything a player needs is going to be all under one roof, uh, which I've, uh, I've been looking for for a long time. Because you do have to be a jack of all traits. You do have to have the prenup conversation, the estate planning conversation. Mm-hmm. You have to be all encompassing when a guy walks in the door uh, to be able to say, okay, we have all the tools here to protect you and your career. Uh, so let's, let's talk about it. Because, uh, and, and I think that's why teams are attracted to agents because we, by trade, we have to kind of be well-rounded because we're answering questions outside of hockey all the time for our clients. And then when you run a team, that usually starts happening too. Well, we've got a frozen Scott Burnside, so I'm going to take it here. Al, that's, you've given us so much information. And I want to point out to everybody that that Harvard degree comes through really brightly and that you did have your own playing career. Uh, and, and I know probably, Al, correct me if I'm wrong, the highlight of it was probably the time you spent in roller hockey international. Yes, so. sir. The Vipers. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> So thank, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. I mean, your insight into the game has been huge. It's a side that people don't see a lot. And as we talked about, it's changed so much. I mean, from the day that we started working together to where it is now, um, it's amazing to hear that all that's offered and really to see that agents aren't just out there to collect a check. You guys do look after the client in all manners and you should, or, or else you're not going to be able to keep your job. So <laughs> appreciate, appreciate your appreciate time it. today. No yeah, problem. Thanks, thanks my, for coming to hang out with us. Good luck in Kelowna. of the day. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> a lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mike, as, as always, good call by you. Uh, no, I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to put a lamb, a lamb on the spot, but did, did you ever, like, when you think of your relationships with him over the years, is there a moment where you're like, yeah, and I'll, I'll never forget that. Or that was really, that was, that was a really cool part of that player agent relationship. You know, I think a lot of it's kind of come after the fact I've done some things afterwards, whether it was some media work or even doing a little bit of goalie coaching at some of his camps that were valuable to me because it showed that he trusted me and, and thought highly of what I did. But like we didn't have any real standout moments during my career because it was pretty straightforward. And that's what I liked about it is that, Al always was in touch. He was never overbearing. I, I really attempted to not do that. You know, he said I was low maintenance, which might surprise people nowadays. Uh, but <laughs> I think you know, you're low maintenance, pal. 
I appreciate that. But like, to me, it was his job and I trusted him and I wasn't going to hire a guy or work with a guy. I don't think hire is even the right word for an agent. I think it's working together. I wasn't going to trust somebody that I didn't think had my best interest, you know? And like I said, like the first deal across the table was usually the best one, but we'd have several deals laid out. We'd talk to teams and we'd kind of just the week before free agency work it out, man, you know, and we'd figure out which is the best place for me to be. And I'd value his opinion. And honestly, I don't think I ever butted heads with him on where that was, you know, and that's, again, that's the trust factor, but not every player has that. Like what he said about parents is so true, man. Like I, I know one NHL goalie out there whose parents just straight up told an agent, the guy's next contract should look like Carey prices, you know, and this kid was like 22. And I'm just thinking, looking at this and thinking like, first, why are the parents involved in the first place? But two, are you nuts? You know, <laughs> and this, it, it's kind of the level that things have gotten to. So I, I always thought that being an agent would be fun. I still think I would enjoy it, but Scott, it's a ton of work, man. Like yeah. you've, you've come in contact with a lot of agents, spoken to them. Is, is there anybody in hockey that needs a bigger phone plan when we used to have minutes on our phone plans than a, than a player agent? Oh my gosh. And, and, you know, Alain was talking about it, you know, he's got these camps. I mean, you know, think about the infrastructure of <clears throat> running five camps and the cost that goes into that. Now, you know, maybe the, that comes out of the percentage or, you know, whatever it is, but the planning, the costs, and then meanwhile, it's free agency. So you're working out this five year, $17 million deal, for Jonas uh, Siegenthaler, and and I, I get to tell you the the reviews on his evolution and his, you know how much they love him in New Jersey. I mean that's a, mm-hmm. you know talk about fit and how important that is. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a critical thing. And then you know again the the business is you know it's cutthroat. People are constantly you know there's always a very fluid part of the agent business. You know we see and I think. My sense is it happens more frequently now, players going from one agent to another and, you know, that the competitive nature of the business, I've been, I won't even mention any of the names, but I've been out socially and talking to an agent and another agent has come in and they have, there was some poaching of a client and this agent was like, I got to go. Can't we can't be in the wow. same room. No kidding. Like it was well, and it's a livelihood thing, right? I mean, yeah. I, you know, and I not to go too far down the rabbit hole on it. I remember talking to Emily Castingay, who of course is now the assistant GM in Vancouver, but was uh, Alexis Lafreniere's agent mm-hmm. when he was taken number one overall by the Rangers a couple of years ago. And they just remember telling me the story about, you know, and she belonged to a very a small boutique uh, agency based in Montreal. Uh, and she said, you know, it's not really a week that goes by that I don't hear that some other agent has called Alexi's family or, you know, basically trying to swoop up her client. Sure. I said, I said, I would lose my mind. And she's like, mm-hmm. I can only control what I can control. And yeah. that means I got to be the best agent for Alexi and his family. I can't worry about the other people, but I, like, honestly, when I, I, it makes me mad even thinking about it, but I, this is, happens all the time. But what Emily said there that you just repeated is the most important aspect. All she could do or he or whoever it may be in this yeah. business is to be the best agent available for that client. You can't send your thugs over to beat the guy up for trying to poach your player. You know, you can't have a mob mentality and go bust some kneecaps, no. dude. Like good story if it happens to, that way, but anyway, it'd be, yeah. Oh, it'd be great. It'd be nothing but tabloid fodder, but you know, that that's, the overarching principle here is that you need to be the best at what you do and be the best option for that player. Um, And and I think you see it now, like people do switch agents a decent amount. And for various reasons, some players are just straight up selfish and want the biggest deal they can get. But other players just don't feel like that agents responded to them. I hear that a lot. And that's the one thing that, you know, Al always responded like his, what, how he said though, about the 16 year old kids with two question marks. That's hilarious that they want it instantly. Oh, it's so funny, but it is real that he always responded, man. And that's all you ask for. All you can ask for is the player agent to respond. And I thought that his comments about Kadri and Klingberg were really interesting, Scott. Yeah. You know, we've, I've written about them a little bit at Daily Faceoff. We've talked about it. 
you kind of get the sense that they overplayed the market a little bit here. And, and yeah. now what's going to happen for these two players? It, it, there's no way, Scott, that they're going to end up getting the money that they thought unless somehow a team magically moves out cash against the salary cap. And as Al said, that's not easy, man. Well, see, I wondered about, because I, w- I really enjoyed your piece the other day uh, on looking at some of the teams that have been very quiet this off season, you know, New York Islanders are one of them. And, you know, is there, is that where something breaks? And then you see, you know, a, a deal with term and dollar that you would, you know, either for John Klingberg or Nazem Kadri that you would go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So whatever the number and term is seven times seven or whatever, whatever it turns out to be, maybe that happens. But my guess is, and I think you're absolutely right on this, is that at this stage, do both those players or one of them, are they sitting with their representatives, their agents saying, all right, we're not seeing what I want. I'm willing to gamble. And we saw this with uh, Taylor Hall a couple of years ago. He signed the one-year deal in Buffalo. I'll take one year, good team or a, a team on the rise, at a high end, you know, seven or eight million dollars, whatever it takes, and you bank on yourself to get through to next year. I know we're not expecting a huge cap rise next summer, but mm-hmm. you know, as Ellen mentioned, maybe in two years, maybe it's now you're just like, we'll take a one year deal and we're going to revisit this next summer and maybe we'll have a different strategy. I don't know. It, it, it's hard. And it's, you know, what do I know? But, you know, I'm sure for both Nazem Kadri and John Klingberg, maybe they imagined that they would have had dollar and term and security mm-hmm. and not be worrying about it now. And and maybe it's not worth the stress to go back into a one-year deal. But I would think that it that it might be if you felt that you're still not getting paid what you're worth and you say, I'm gonna I'm gonna take another swing at it next summer. It wouldn't be me. I'm very Swiss, even though I'm American as it gets. <laughs> I, I tell you what, all the term. All the I would have taken, I would have taken term over dollars any day because you know why? I know how to invest, man. <laughs> and you give me term, maybe give me a salary, give me a bonus, like in the first year or two that I can bank and ride that. That's what I. That's the direction I'd go. I was very risk averse, but that's not everybody. Some people love to gamble. I don't love to gamble. One year deals, you're gambling. You better perform. Uh, we've seen it go both directions, and. I don't know, man. It, it's, it'll be interesting to see hurt, those two. Right? Yeah. Like, what if oh, you, you know, Nazem Kadri gets hurt in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, what if that, you know, what if, what if that happens in October or what if it happens in March, right? Like any of those things that you can't plan for that then make it impossible to come back to the table next summer and saying, well, I'd like seven times nine. Imagine oh. missing out on 40 million bucks due to an injury. Yeah. Imagine I, it. Right. Like generational wealth. Anyway, I don't know, man. Um, You know, we were talking before this, Scott, and uh, I think you're right. I think we do need to talk about our friends that have helped me out immensely this week. You got it. I got you. I see. I was gonna. We were talking about. You know, you you gotta rely on people. And as always, we here at Daily Faceoff and at the Suitcase and the Scribe rely on DoorDash, the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of podcasts, restaurants, and more, delivered right to your door. And it's you know, it's been a long season. I feel like DoorDash has been right there with us. Yes, they've been very good to us. They were very needed when we got home from a, my family and I went on a two-week odyssey up to New York State and Portland, yes. Maine, where I played three seasons in Portland, Maine. And I just absolutely love that place, man. But when we got home, we needed some help. We had a day or two at DoorDash being delivered. So <laughs> thanks to them. <laughs> uh, all right. So now what do you think? You know, we talked about the teams that, that you wrote about that, that weren't all that active. What's the team? What's a team that you are looking at you know, we're heading into notwithstanding John Klingberg and Nazem Kadri, but mm. we're heading into the sort of the dog days of the summer. What's a team that you're like, you know what? That's big. but that's an interesting off season for team A. Is there a team that you've been like, hmm, that was, I wonder how that's going to work out. The Islanders have done nothing, Scott. Like <laughs> Lou has done nothing. Like they don't even have Dobson signed to his new deal yet. Like I'm, Something's got to go there. Like I'm thinking like August 6th in the middle of this, there's going to be a massive trade and signing a cadre or just like, 
I feel like a classic Lou play where he's been just, you know, waiting in the weeds here. And then all of a sudden the, just the Viper strikes and it's like classic Lou, you know, because they've done nothing other than fire Barry Trotz and bring in Lane Lambert in my eyes. And man, that team has got to get some speed and creativity. They have to, they got to unlock Matt Barzell, man. Like, so that that's the club that I see that really something has to happen there because they're just going to be mediocre again if they don't. And, and I think honestly, Winnipeg's in the same boat. Like, and, and I don't know where you go if you're Kevin Chevel day off. I mean, they, they have a tough time with free agents. They could hardly find a coach. Like it's a tough spot, but if it's a tough spot, then just do something, you know, like trotting out the same lineup next year, basically with some tweaks is it's not going to accomplish anything. Like, wouldn't you rather go down on a, blaze of glory trying something than just you know being conservative again so um those are the two that i think i kind of got an eye on but like i mean scott i think you've you, you know you've pointed out we've talked about some teams that have made some significant moves and maybe it's kind of flown under the radar and pittsburgh's one of them man like i never thought that mike matheson would be on the move i was surprised by that and Marino, two defensemen, Scott. What do you make of this bringing in Ty Smith and Jeff Petrie? <laughs> well, it, it, I was just looking at the Penguins, well, their entire lineup. And uh, you know what? Like, I, again, I think we, you and I talked about it. Like, what, what's the option if you don't want to ante up with Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin? What's, what are you going to do? You know, Vin, we see what Vincent Trocek gets in New York on the term and the dollar. So, Ron Hextall, not only does he not pivot away from those cornerstone players, that back end has been, you know, it's been transmogrified. They're not, <laughs> this is not a young team. I will just say this. This is not a young Penguin team. But you know what? I, I just love how Ron Hextall has, you know, Kate, you know John Marino's, I, I, I thought he, I thought he was a future top four guy there for years he goes to New Jersey. Ty Smith, who I thought might have been a top four guy in New Jersey. For Similar. Years. He comes mm-hmm. back. And you're right, that Matheson, now, now you bring in Jeff Petrie. Now Petrie's, um, you know, a cup. like, listen, it didn't all go according to plan in Montreal, but I think we can say that about the entire team there. But, but I, I, I just think Jeff Petrie is a, an interesting ad. He's 34 years old, right-hand shot guy. Uh, now he slides in behind uh, Chris Letang. I, I and you know you forget people may have forgotten. You've signed Jan Ruda, a guy that people I don't you know might have overlooked in Tampa. Um, again, thirty-one years old. I just I that back end is experienced, rock solid. You've got you know Petrie. I think still has lots to give. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like the, I like Matheson in Montreal. I, I think that fits what hometown boy. Yeah. I just, I think that's a great fit there, but I do look at that penguin team and I'm like, they just, you know, they just loaded up again and said, all right, I, I know like the window was, you know, maybe it's closed already. Maybe they're banging their head against the closed window, but that team is in it to win it. And I, I just think the back end is better than it was. And they're going to throw, they're throwing the dice again. Let's see what happens. At least they're trying. That's my point, man. Like I I look at Winnipeg and it's like, I don't think you're trying. And I even, I had Philadelphia in my piece this week where the messaging from ownership was, man, you got a blank check. Go for it. Let's make this happen. And then it just turned out to be really pale and conservative, you know? And I'll tell you this much. Here's my, here's my sticking point with Philly. They needed to do whatever they could to move out money because Johnny Gaudreau would have gone there in a heartbeat. Yeah. And you had access to the best free agent player who would transform your team. And you couldn't make it happen. And everybody knew that Philly was trying to move money. I get that, man. But look at look at the Blue Jackets right now. Patrick Laine couldn't put his signature on that piece of paper fast enough and give <laughs> glowing comments about how excited he was to play with Johnny Gaudreau. That's, that's how a big-time player like that can change your franchise. So those are my words of wisdom there and from a person who's never been a manager. <laughs> I get every day. And I know, listen, Chuck Fletcher, he takes a bit of a beating there for the reasons that you and just I have. love Chuck Fletcher, man. I do. He's a super nice guy and very intelligent man. Yep. It, and I get to tell you, I, I feel every single day, it seems like, 
oh, and by the way, yes, the Flyers didn't sign Johnny Gaudreau, but also now they're losing another player for six months. And, you know, Ryan Ellis, uncertain when he can come back and play. Joel Farabee out until after the start of the season. Bobby Brink, you know, we had the... You know, after the his great college career ended, he ended up in Philly. There's Bobby Brink, another guy that I think, you know, he could have penciled in somewhere in the top nine and um, yeah. right forward, right? Um, anyway, he's out five months. You know, who knows when he comes back? Uh, it's just they, they've had some bad luck there, I guess, is what I'm saying yes, in, they have. Uh, in Philly. So they have. That's my yep. thinking. So, yeah. I don't like beating up on people, but it's just – they're going to be mediocre forever unless you make some big swings. There's no way around that to me. Yeah. Uh, all right. What else we got here? We're just, we're getting towards the the final podcast of the season. Always, yeah. it, it, I will say this now with to uh, soppy or whatever. It, I have enjoyed every episode. It's just been outstanding so it's been fun and we've had really varied guests and to me that's that's the fun that's what makes it interesting you know this week grabbing an agent and doing some people from different looks like there's a lot of different elements and angles to the sport that sometimes people don't think of so um that part's been great uh it's been fun to look into and learn more about your work and what you do and what you're passionate about and what makes you tick and you know, even, even this week, man, like your writing and the forcefulness of it, which is needed on the Hockey Canada situation and how they've been covering up sexual assaults now for <laughs> however long, paying people off, like bungling the process. Like, Scott, this is, it's not just alarming, man. It, it, it's something that I think was almost like an open secret at times and nobody did anything to act on it, man. Like, do you see this as finally being the watershed moment? Cause you've dug deep on hockey Canada. You know, a lot about this process and the hearings. Where do you see it going? Yeah. Well, and, and there are lots of reporters who've done a lot of lot, much heavier lifting than I've done. Uh, you know, Rick West had at TSN and Katie Strang at the, at Ken Campbell, um, you know, longtime hockey writers done a lot of work on this. There've been a lot of people who have done, um, uh, you know, some, very hard looks at what has gone on with hockey Canada. And it, you know, literally as we're taping this another day of testimony for leaders um, of, of the national hockey body in Ottawa with, you know, before members of parliament answering very difficult questions. And uh, to your question on the watershed, I, I hope it is. I, I honestly don't get the sense though. And maybe this will change. I'm not sure that the, 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 the leaders at hockey Canada really understand um, how broken the, the the organization is, and the the level of mistrust from the uh, you know, many I'm, for all Canadians, like, like I should. But the, uh, my sense is the level of mistrust is enormous in Canada, and it's you know goes from sponsors, obviously, who pulled out of the World Juniors, you know, Scotia Bank and Tim Hortons and Canadian Tire. Uh, institutions in and of themselves who are backing away from hockey Canada. The fact that some of the, the, the registration, you know, that parents have paid for their kids to be part of hockey Canada went to pay uh, victims of sexual assault in, in out of court settlements. And it's, it's discouraging. And I think, you know, you asked watershed moment. Yes, but there are so many hard questions about what next and who leads, who makes the decision on who leads this group. Um, you yeah, know, I do know you have a couple, a do you have a couple people in mind? You thought you named a few in your piece. You thought would be good to be able yeah. to at least be there in an advisory role. There's people out there that can help. Yeah. I think it has to be, I think it's important to have bring in voices, um, you know, who, who represent a viewpoint that, you know, has been ignored or, or trodden on. I, I mean, how, how shocking is this that the Canadian national women's team with some of the greatest women players in the world sent out a release on the eve of this week's uh, testimony that demanding hockey Canada be transparent, that they tell the truth and demanding that women, you know, that the women's team, but in general, I think broader scope, that women have a seat at the table on what Hockey Canada looks like moving forward. Um, How has there not been a woman on that board? <laughs> but there are a couple of women. Who are, 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 with a bigger, bigger voice, at least. How? Well, I just think it's, I think it speaks to, 
an organization that has been a closed group. I think that's how you get this culture. And it's not just this 2008 horrific sexual assault in London, Ontario, after a a Hockey Canada gala. You know, in recent days, we've got uh, news that has come mostly from Rick Westhead and his reporting, but Hockey Canada put out basically a preemptive press release saying that there is evidence of a a gang sexual assault in the 2002-2003 World Junior Team in Halifax. Um, Police have uh, open investigation into that incident. London police are reinvestigating the 2018 incident. This has been a an organization that has created this culture where players felt enabled and emboldened to act in uh, outrageous and and if it's not criminal, then in borderline criminal manner and have created uh, a, a dynamic of, uh, of don't ask, don't tell um, where, where women were not treated with respect and women were not treated as equals. And they felt emboldened in part because of the system established by hockey Canada. So, Man, there's a ton of there's a ton of work, but it's it's really important, I think, to find people who are smart, who will ask hard questions, present different viewpoints, whether it's from the you know, I talked to a woman, um, uh, uh, Andrea Gunrash from the Canadian Women's Foundation. They got some of Scotiabank sponsorship money uh, and they certainly need lots of support. But the victims need to have a voice there. Women need to have a voice there. Uh, all kinds of underserved groups in the hockey community should have a say in what Hockey Canada looks like moving forward. But it needs to be taken down. And, and it, the change, I think, has to start at the top. There was a call for leadership to step down earlier today. Uh, apparently, leaders aren't prepared to go. Um, so we'll see. I, I, there's a lot of work left to be done mike and it's yeah. it's shocking but maybe this is what it takes to make it right hopefully i hope so um subject flip let's that, get back to the nhl real quick here before we depart for the rest of the year until we get back to training camp uh towards september i'm just going to ask you to make one prediction any prediction any prediction you want that in the next month or so before we reconvene you think might happen and you can take this any direction you want to go. Ah, you know, that's, that's a good one. I I wish I had a really good answer off the uh, top of my head. I, but I'm, I'm going to go back to, to, uh, to Nassim Kadri and John Klingberg. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do, I think here's my prediction. It's, it's a bit wishy-washy because I'm making it up as I go. I think both those guys sign and I think they, uh, I think at least one of them signs with a team that will make us arch our eyebrows in the same manner we did when Johnny Gaudreau signed in Columbus. I like it. I like that. It's kind of weird. It's kind of wishy-washy. That's kind of a wimpy one. Well, okay. No, that's not. I want you, you won't hurt my feelings. You have have a much better one. What What do you no, have? I I like that. I'm going to say the Detroit Red Wings make playoffs. Oh, nice. Okay. And, and so like, this is way out in the future here, but I think that what the Iser plan and what it's done, I, I think in the next month or so, you're really going to see that team kind of start to galvanize before a training camp. And you're going to find out that this club's going to be for real quicker than you think. Okay. Yeah. That's a wild prediction for the future of the year. Yeah, now, like, if we go, I'm but if we go for Yeah. But if we go for the next month here, um, you know, I, I'd look at teams that I had from my list. Like I, I think that those teams aren't done. I really believe the Islanders are going to make something happen here. I really believe that. And I also think the St. Louis blues aren't done. Those are my two teams that I've got an eye on that I think could actually make something happen before training camp starts. So those are my two predictions. I'm not sure what they'll be, uh, but if I had to put money on it, it's the Islanders. Okay. Just before we go that, cause I'm curious about, we, you know, we spent, you know, we talk a lot about the Edmonton Oilers and there's been lots of there. When Jesse Pugliarvi signs the one year deal, and and now the, the you know the question is do you does he, so he signs does he stay there that's the other thing I was so I'm curious do you think Pujarvi stays with the Oilers I'm just looking now at their uh, roster here 
does he stay there or is that a, is this a, a point where okay now he's under contract now he becomes an asset that's controllable and, and and so the Oilers could move him because they're still you know Momoto's still an RFA still out there Ryan McLeod's still an RFA mm-hmm. you know what so I'm curious because he really is such a, a lightning rod for so many Oilers fans right the whole yeah. I remember doing this piece on Pujarvi early in the season. And I talked to Kenny Holland and, you know, talked about how he's so happy he didn't trade him and he was playing with Connor McDavid and, and lighting it up. Now there's lots of ebbs and flows to his game. I get it. But do you think he stays there? Like, is he a guy a month from now? Is he still I mean, an oiler? At the start of the year, we were talking about who's going to score more, Line A or Pujarvi. Um I think it's smart biz by Ken Holland to get him under contract because now it's a controllable asset, obviously. And at that dollar figure, uh, his contract came in at what? $3 million. I want to say um, that's, that's manageable, right? It, you can make that contract go away if you need to, if you can also get value out of that contract. Like I think what it turns into is if a team comes to Edmonton with enough of an offer, they'd be happy to move on from him. And if nobody steps up to the plate, well, you can eat that cap hit for another year. And you hope that he still turns into a player that you thought he might be. So it's a hedge to me, Scott. And I think a hedge on a player that you still don't know what he is, is a smart thing to do. So I'm not sure how it's going to play out. I would lean towards he's probably going to still be an Edmonton Oiler in training camp. Um, But by the end of the year, I'm not sure about that. That's good stuff. All right, my friend, listen. It's been a pleasure every single week. Uh, you bring it, no questions. So thanks for thanks for being such a great uh, co-podcaster. Teammate, a- brother, a good teammate. teammate. And Pod you have as well, Scott. You're Pod always mate. prepared. And, and of course, Liam, who's helping us out behind the scenes, and everybody at Daily Faceoff, really appreciate it. Everybody's listening. You have to listen to us bums up here talking and you do. And we appreciate yes. that. So. Good for Liam. Yes. That's well it. done. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll catch Still you on training the- camp. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.